What's holding you back from realizing your full potential, from living the life of your dreams, from stepping out and moving forward with confidence, courage, and purpose? For most people, the culprit is three paralyzing lies, which we're about to shut down. This is the Shut Up Devil Show, and I am Kyle Winkler, author of the book Shut Up Devil, creator of the Shut Up Devil app. I'm all about shutting down the lies and struggles that keep you from thriving in God's design for your life, and I'm here to do it every single week with a live online audience. I'd love for you to join me live on Thursdays at 8 p.m. Central at kylewinkler.org slash live. Speaking of lies, that's what we're talking about in this message. It's a favorite subject of mine, as I've discovered from my life and through a decade of ministry so far. Lies are almost always at the root of the emotions and behaviors we hate in our lives. And as you'll see in this message, they're also what keep you, what paralyze you from the life of your dreams, a life of confidence, courage, purpose. Before we get into the specific lies that paralyze, let me catch you up to speed briefly about the liar, you know, the enemy. If you've read the first chapter of my book here, Shut Up Devil, then you know this. The first chapter is all about this. The enemy's name in the New Testament, devil, means slanderer. That's the act of making a false statement to destroy someone's reputation. Destroying your reputation is what the enemy is after. Because you see, if you are a Christian, then you have a reputation, which is Jesus. You have the identity of Christ. And that contains all the qualities of Jesus, such as righteousness, peace, holiness. These qualities are the very source of your confidence and courage. There's so many more, too. Those were just a few. But these are the foundation of your authority as a Christian. And that's why the enemy is after your reputation in Christ. Because people who believe that their past is gone, they are made new and made right with God, have an unshakable confidence and courage to follow God's plan for their lives. And they'll take whatever risks are necessary to do so. The devil doesn't want that. He doesn't want you to live according to what God says about you because he knows that you only rise to the level of who you believe that you are. You're only going to be as confident as your beliefs. You're only going to be as courageous as your beliefs about you. That's why, and I am a broken record with this verse sometimes, Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your thoughts because they determine the course of your life. What you believe affects your talk. It affects your walk. And you can take it from someone who knows here. Someone who's been there. If you've read any of my books, heard me speak before, been with me on any of these podcasts, then you know some of my story. But for the first two and a half to three decades of my life, I was dictated by lies. Lies that go back as far as potty training. Back then, like before preschool, 
I remember feeling like I didn't belong. I felt like an outsider. Now, today, I know that feeling is a lie, but back then, I just thought if I felt it, it must be true. And that then just bred a lot of insecurity in me. I was afraid to talk, which is funny considering what I do today. That's because I've learned some things which I'm sharing with you. But nobody wanted to be friends with a kid who didn't talk. Nobody understood. So I heard a lot of lies from kids. All things that eventually shaped what I believed about me. And what I said about myself either was kind of only in my mind. It all resulted in a lot of shame, which at first made me socially anxious, but then it kind of morphed into this perfectionism that even after I became a Christian turned into a performance-based faith, which is really a whole separate story that I've been talking a lot about recently in these shows. But it all just about did me in. The enemy's work in my mind led me to believe that I could not be used by God. And I'm telling you, when you look at the negative thinking and living patterns in your life, you'll see lies are somewhere at the root of them too. In my book, Shut Up Devil, I go through 10 lies that are especially crippling. I don't have time to go through all 10. Not right here. You don't have the attention span, trust me, to sit through all 10 of these, okay? So I chose three. Three of the ones that are especially crippling, that keep you from realizing your full potential. So I'll just start by asking, do you feel like you just don't fit? Like you're kind of a square peg trying to fit into a round hole. When I ask this to congregations, there's usually a trickle of people that start to raise their hand and then other people look around and realize other people are admitted. That, so by the end, everybody practically is raising their hand. And it's funny because we often think we're the only ones that feel this way, when in truth, almost all of us do. Whether at school, at work, at church, doesn't matter. We tend to be focused on all the ways that we are too much of this or too little of that. So we swallow this lie, which if you remember from a few minutes ago, is the very first one that I remember feeling as a child. You don't belong. Now, why is that an issue? Why is believing that you don't belong so detrimental? because we are wired for relationship with people. Psychologists say that the need for acceptance is just behind food, air, and water. But that shouldn't surprise us because it's scriptural. Science didn't figure this out. It's been in the Bible all along. From the beginning, God said it's not good for people to be alone. So wanting acceptance, not just from God, I mean, we already have it from God, But wanting acceptance from people isn't evil. It's natural. We're wired for it. But the devil capitalizes on this. He either gets us to go about finding acceptance the wrong way, or he gets us so insecure about ourselves 
that we don't do what we need to do to find acceptance. Both are paralyzing. Think about the creation story. Consider how Adam was made. He was formed, defined, given his personality, his traits, his abilities. Then God brought a suitable companion to him. He wasn't molded for his companion. He was made first, and then the suitable companion was brought to him. So if you think about that, don't most people pursue relationships backward from that? And I'm not just talking about romantic relationships. I'm talking about any relationships, friendships, whatever. Most of us find a person or a group that we desperately want to be part of. And then we try to fit in. And the problem is fitting in is just that. It's fitting. It's shaping. It's molding or changing, giving up something of yourself to match something else. And in the process of it, you lose who God created you to be. So that really you become nothing more than a mirror of those from whom you seek acceptance. So that when they see you, they don't see you, but they see themselves. Of course, the hope is that they're going to like what they see. But if they do, then you've got a bigger problem. Because what you attract them with is what you have to keep them with. And that, trust me, that is anything but freedom. Some of you know that. The benchmark of real belonging and acceptance. Where it's really at is to find acceptance in who God created you to be, your authentic self, like your very real self. But before you're going to let anyone accept you for you, you have to accept you for you. And boy, did I have to learn this one. You regulars know that I am naturally an introvert. Certainly the rejection and insecurity I face as a child added to all of this. But I got healed of that stuff. That's really separate from being an introvert. Introverts don't have to be insecure. They don't have to be shy. I think that personality tends toward those things in the extremes, just like extroversion tends toward certain things in the extremes. That's part of the devil's work. But after I got healed from those extremes, of the fear of rejection, the insecurity. Well, guess what? I'm still an introvert. And some people, they're surprised to hear that because they see me talking like this or they see me on a platform or on a broadcast or something. But talking to people wears me out. I mean, especially people that I don't know. After I really talk to people, like in a getting to know you kind of way, I got I to gotta have a break. I got have some alone time after that. Well, I used to believe that this counted me out of what I'm doing today because I'd look through the Bible and it just seemed like everybody that, you know, really did something in here was outgoing and I'd look around at other preachers and they'd all seem to be people people. In my home church, we'd often have evangelists come in with stories of being on an airplane and practically winning the entire airplane to the Lord on the way to the church. Meanwhile, to this day, I get on an airplane and when people want to talk to me, I'm thinking, will you please shut up? 
So for the longest time, I thought I didn't fit this thing that God had called me to. So I kind of waffled back and forth between trying to change me, which didn't work, to being insecure and depressed, wondering, can God really use someone like me? But you know what? With the help of the Lord, I finally discovered that my personality wasn't a mistake and isn't a defect, but it's a part of how God designed me. How, as Psalm 139 says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, and so are you. That's when I started to lean into those qualities about me that I once hated. And when I did, I found out they are actually beneficial. Like those things that I didn't like about myself for so long, there are actually some benefits to how God made me. I might not be a comedian, preacher, or the life of the party, but the way I'm wired makes me mine for deep insights, which I trust comes out in my writing and speaking. I'm telling you, when I stopped trying to change me and started to embrace me, that's when I really stepped into my anointing. Because I'm operating as God designed for the purpose He designed. And that's where I found my real acceptance, too, because I've just kind of gotten to the point these days. Take me or leave me, but this is me. And the ones who want me, the ones who will take me, well, guess what? The ones that God has assigned for me, guess what? They somehow find me and I find them. And it doesn't have to be a lot of people. It can just be a few and that's enough to satisfy. And it'll be the same for you if you'll lean into your uniqueness instead of trying to hide it. God did not make you as you are to hide who you are. I've got to wrap this point up, but let me do it. Favorite scripture of mine, some of you can repeat it with me, Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Who you are was strategically crafted and redeemed by God into something beautiful, something valuable. I know that other people might not see it right now. You might not see it right now. Some of your greatest features might be hidden under layers of shame, insecurity, fear, or struggle. Just know that there is a masterpiece in you that you don't have to change or prove. You just have to reveal. And as you reveal it, the right people will recognize it. Listen. You are no mistake, nor the product of some random chance. But you're the outcome of God's choosing and the result of a steady hand. That means you belong as you are with all your quirks and qualities because with them, not despite them, you reflect something of God. You're made in His image, the Bible says. You reflect something of God that the world needs to see and you are made to do something that only you can do. Now that naturally begs the question, what is that something 
that only I can do. I'm willing to bet that there are a good number of you who would say that you don't know your purpose. Usually, though, that's not the case. Most people deep down, most people know what excites or satisfies them. They, they kind of know what they'd like to do. They're just afraid to admit it. Most often because the enemy has convinced them that what they do doesn't matter. That what they have doesn't matter. Or that it doesn't rise up to the level of making a big enough difference. So they're insecure about it and they never say it. And that's the second lie, that you don't have a purpose or a big enough purpose. In our celebrity-obsessed culture, media-saturated, we are inundated with stories of those who break records, invent technologies, find cures, feed small countries, top the charts. These are people that we think have achieved purpose because their names or contributions are well-known or are in lights. And yes, they're inspirational, no doubt. But they are the exception, not the rule. In truth, most of us will never be number one in our category or influence multitudes. The reality is, if you are waiting for a world-changing thing to do, then you're likely going to be waiting forever. Now, years ago, I would have argued with that and taken it as a curse on my potential. Because when you grow up like I did, believing you are a reject, you look for things that make you stand out. You crave something to do that might make you someone important. When I confused my doing as the source of my being, I pursued only what was epic. Because doing and purpose became my identity. But that's backward. What you do does not determine who you are. What you do flows from who you are. Your identity comes first. Like Adam was made first before he was tasked to do anything. Identity must be known first because from that flows everything. That's just as God designed. You already have what you need for purpose. The first clue is what's in you. What are those talents and abilities that you've possessed for as long as you can remember? What are the natural skills that are relatively easy for you to pick up? I'm not saying ones that you've necessarily mastered or are perfect in, but what are those things that just kind of come easier to you? Are you good at music, drawing, acting? That's art-related stuff, maybe. You prefer hands-on things like building, crafting, or cooking. Those are not mine, <laughs> but maybe they're yours. Those are labor kind of skills. Or maybe you prefer to do things that involve your mind, like teaching or strategizing. Whatever it is, those natural abilities that you've had since birth are not coincidental. Take note of them. Every one of those represent an aspect of God's image that he divvied out and gave to you. For a reason. But the second ingredient that's in you 
is what drives you. You might call this passion. And to be clear, this isn't a skill or ability. A lot of people get that mixed up. A passion is not just something that you're good at or something that you do for a living. It's that unshakable thing that you live for. Well, our passions were placed by God in us too. The Bible describes that at your salvation, you receive spiritual gifts. I'd say these are passions. Some of them are for serving. Others are for teaching. Others are for giving. Maybe encouraging. I will say sarcasm is not one of them. That's for sure. Either is criticism or fault finding. So you can forget those, okay? Encouraging. That's one of them. But anyway, what brings you alive? That's passion. So the two ingredients of purpose, what's in you, your abilities, and what drives you, your passions, those are two things you already have, regardless of the size of them. When you bring those two ingredients together, that's where you start to discover purpose. But I got to stress, you discover it. You find it. So many people get paralyzed from doing anything in life because they're waiting for God to reveal what to do with what they have. Like I said a few minutes ago, they're waiting for something epic. But using what you have in a deeply meaningful purpose isn't something to wait for. Nor does it, as I've been saying, have to be something world-changing. It's something that enriches where you are. Something that makes somewhat of a difference in your world. Doesn't have to be the whole world, your world. It's something you discover, something you simply step into as you step. Years ago, I learned something that was hugely beneficial to me, especially at the beginning of my faith. You can't move a parked car. And try it. Try steering a parked car. It doesn't go anywhere. You've got to be in motion for the direction to start happening. Well, a lot of us are parked. And we're saying, okay, God, I'm good at this. I love to do this. Bring me the opportunity and then I'll go. That's not usually how it works. How it usually works is you try things according to what you're good at and what you're passionate about. Again, you lean into your uniqueness, as I said in the first point. Sometimes as you try, you learn things that you don't like at all and that don't really work out well for you. And that's that. Other times you try something and it fits and then God leads you to the next step and the next and the next and that's kind of how he orders your steps. I remember when I was figuring things out, especially in ministry. I knew I was good at technology. I was an internet programmer for many years. I was passionate about the truth of God as well. And I had no idea how to bridge the two. I thought they were polar opposite. But I tried things, small things. And some of those things told me what I was not good at and didn't like, such as street preaching. 
or being a Sunday school teacher for elementary kids. Not good at either of those. But making videos, writing articles, using media as I dabbled into those things, I realized those enliven me. I like those. I'm gifted for those. I'm driven for those. And it got to a point to where without me even realizing it, you know what God did? As I took baby step after baby step after baby step, just leaning into what I had and what I love, he ordered my steps to combine the two into this ministry that fittingly started with a mobile app and internet outreach. And today has some of its greatest impact upon people behind a screen. So I'll ask you, what's in your hands and what's in your heart? Do it. Maybe it's as simple as reading a book to your child, hosting a small group for your church, joining a fitness class at the gym. Take one baby step in the direction of what enlivens you, then do your best to discern what's next. Sometimes you'll hear it clearly. Many times you won't. And that's okay. Don't let the devil convince you that it isn't big enough, epic enough, or that you are not enough. What you have and what you love were placed inside of you by God for a deeply meaningful purpose to enrich your world right where you are. So hear me. God's plan for your life isn't off in the distance. You haven't missed it. You haven't ruined it. You're living in it. It's what you do today that gets you to tomorrow. Yes, it's going to grow and it will evolve, but the pressure for that is far more on the Lord who orders your steps than it is on you. Now this brings us to the third lie. Because as you get brave enough to take steps, oh, the devil will tell you, no, you can't do it because you're not good enough. You're not perfect enough. This lie may be the grand poobah of them all. And it kind of encapsulates what I've been saying in the last two points. The enemy says you don't belong because you're not enough of this or that. He says you don't have a purpose because you don't have enough of this or that. He says you shouldn't even try because you're not good enough. So you see a theme here? Remember, He's the slanderer. Now, I've shared this story a lot recently, but it makes a good point, so I'm going to share it again. Something the Lord taught me some years ago while I was watching a movie in a theater which was depicting the crucifixion of Jesus. From the very beginning of the movie, there was this constant crackle out of the speaker system, and it got super annoying. Fifteen minutes in, I was like, I have to get up and tell somebody. So finally, I did. And I got to the end of that aisle. And suddenly, something stopped me. It was a word, a thought. I heard, my story is always told through imperfect speakers. Let's just say that I walked myself back to that seat, sat down, and shut up. <laughs> My story is always told through imperfect speakers. That phrase has come back to me 
with every step I've taken, especially in ministry. Because with every step, it never fails. The enemy is there to remind me of some reason I shouldn't be taking it. Even to this day, as far in and as used to this as I've gotten, still, he's there. He's not going to stop. He's going to be there to remind you why you shouldn't. You're not good enough, fixed enough, ready enough. Let me give you two truths, though, to overcome this one. Two truths that really help me get over the lie that I'm not enough of something to do or go where God's leading me. First, the very reason Jesus came is because you can't be enough on your own. You can't be fixed enough. You can't be perfect enough. Seriously. The journey of Scripture, like this whole book here, it shows that there's nothing people could do to reach perfection, even though they really tried. That's why God sent Jesus to do what we can't do for ourselves. I love 2 Corinthians 5.19. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. Replace that word sins with imperfections, inadequacies, weaknesses, anything that falls short of perfection. The Bible says that if you've said yes to Jesus, your imperfections are no longer being considered. That's the result of the cross. So your imperfections aren't going to stand in the way. Not as far as God is concerned. But here's the other thing. You aren't missing what you need to fulfill whatever it is that God calls you to either. God called me to be a teacher. It's what I'm doing. It's what I do. But for years, I thought I didn't have what it takes. I told you some about that earlier. I thought I didn't have the right personality. I thought I didn't come from the right family. I didn't have daddy's platform to stand on. In so many ways, I just felt like I didn't fit the mold for this thing. But here's the thing that I came to realize. As I brought what I have with who I am, God filled in the gaps. He filled in the rest. He didn't need a perfect situation to use me. He just needed a situation. He didn't need a perfect person. He just needed me. He needed my availability and he did the rest through me. Same for you. Your situation doesn't need to be perfect. You don't need to be perfect. He just needs your availability. He'll do the rest. He'll fill in the gaps. And this is a principle that we see all throughout the Bible. I could list off many names. In the Old Testament, there's Moses and Gideon and David just off the top of my head. The New Testament, I mean, all of the disciples, Paul, Timothy, you name it, all were outcasts in some way or another. None of them were good enough or ready enough, but they didn't need to be. God qualified and empowered them with his grace. And despite your imperfections, God will do the same with you. 
You hear that? God will do the same with you. So, may nothing keep you down or hold you back. Take that step. Hear me. I'm talking to you. Take that step. Make that move. You belong as you are. You have a purpose where you are. And in Christ, the current version of you is qualified for whatever God leads you to. Hear me. The current version of you is qualified for whatever God leads you to. Okay. We just explored three of the most crippling lies that hold you back from realizing your full potential, from living the life of your dreams, the life that I believe God wants for you. But there are more where this came from, seven more in my book, Shut Up Devil, Silencing the Ten Lies Behind Every Battle You Face. This book is split into two parts, really. Part one, we explore the slanderer and the sneaky way he gets into your mind, and then how to use your mind and mouth to shut him up. Then in part two, we apply these principles to shut down the 10 lies that are behind things like fear, insecurity, anxiety, depression. You name the negative emotion, feeling, or behavior. doesn't matter. Lies are at the root of them. If you've heard or believed Anything that sounds like you're a failure, something's wrong with you, or God is mad at you, then this book is for you. Shut Up Devil is available wherever books are sold, and that includes Amazon, Barnes & Noble, in paperback, ebook, or audiobook. But I'm happy to send you a signed copy when you order it from my website at kylewinkler.org slash shutupdevil. You'll even get chapter one as an instant download on your emailed receipt so that you can start reading it while you wait for it to arrive. That's kylewinkler.org slash shutupdevil. Okay, that does it for the Shut Up Devil show. Remember, God is good and he is for you. And we're here for you too. Every week on my website at kylewinkler.org on our podcast and wherever you get your social media. And don't forget, wherever you're watching or listening, tap that subscribe or follow button so that you never miss a show. See you next time.